0: This is one of those days where people have uh, accused me of having a mind like a sparkler. It just goes shooting out in a whole bunch of different directions at the same time. So there's a lot on my mind today uh, as we enter into our lessons at mass this morning. So much to unpack, but I want to focus on in particular the importance and necessity of our faith that we not only hear the voice of God but that we obey him and we hear over and over like we sung in the psalm today here I am Lord here I am send me I come to do your will no one ever said well let me rephrase that Most of us say, here I am, Lord. I come to do whatever I really want to do at this time. Because we have our minds made up already about what we want to do. God is always, tragically, an afterthought for us. Oh, we're more than willing to accept His blessings. But when it comes to obeying Him, keeping His commandments, ooh, now you've stopped preaching and gone to meddling. Well, let me approach all of this during this season of excitement in professional football. And you know, I was reading very early this morning, Texans look great, but depending on who wins tomorrow night, the game with the Buffalo in Pittsburgh, we're probably going to have to go to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City to play, or to Baltimore to play the Ravens next week. You know, two of the the best teams in in the league. But we're up to it, I promise. But I was thinking of the importance, now that we are, the playoffs when they start in football triggers my mind into thinking we're just a month away from baseball season starting. Pitchers and catchers report. February the 12th. And so I was thinking a way to get into this whole idea of trusting and believing and obeying I want to look back 50 years in my life uh, when I was playing college baseball one of my best friends at the time was probably the best pitcher in the collegiate level in the United States uh, he was uh, he was he was six foot four weighed about 200 pounds and he had a fastball that could do unbelievable things he was probably throwing in the mid-90s and he threw sort of sidearm or three quarters so the ball was doing all kinds of stuff and by our sophomore year in college he wound up getting drafted by the philadelphia phillies and he got sent to the phillies uh, double-a team that's unusual he didn't go to the rookie league i mean he he had great stuff so so much in fact that the Phillies back then, which I guess would have been about 1972-ish, 73, said he had the best arm in their system, which was shocking to many of us because the Philadelphia Phillies at that time had a left-handed pitcher who was also 6'5", had a pretty good pitch too himself by the name of Steve Carlton. He's in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, won over 300 games. And to to put that sort of pressure on my friend, because he had a fatal flaw, we all knew it. The Phillies found out about it. He had difficulty following directions. Big time difficulty. You see, he made up his mind what he wanted to do. He had such outstanding talent that he got away with it most of the time. Being able to throw whatever pitch he wanted to, to throw and overwhelming batters with his velocity. And yet, when he got into the major leagues and a team actually started paying him money, they expected him to do what they wanted him to do. But his fatal flaw would not let him do that. He was so headstrong. Another word for that is selfish, self-centered that no matter what they told him, he did whatever he wanted. And so he wound up, at one point, throwing a punch at his own head coach. Got so mad because they were telling him to do that. And he got in fights with his own teammates. During games? Well, the Phillies, that lasted about two months. He was back in Fort Worth, throwing batting practice. He had difficulty obeying, and that's a big one for us. We see all through our lessons this morning from the first lesson, the great story of young Samuel in the temple in Shiloh, where he was apprenticed to the high priest Eli as a young boy, uh, all the way down through Jesus calling Peter to be his apostle and then paul lambasting the church in corinth we see the issue of accepting the commitment accepting the commission from the lord but having trouble following through and we see some good examples here and some harsh ones let's look at the first lesson uh, to begin Uh, young samuel you probably remember if you if you read through the daily lessons Uh, His mother, Hannah, was barren. And so she went to the temple in Shiloh before the temple was built in Jerusalem. Uh, And she went because she wanted to plead her case before God. And so she sat in the temple, pouring her eyes out with tears. And her mouth was moving, but she was praying silently. And Eli, the high priest, saw her and thought she was drunk went to her and said, woman, get your wine out of here. She said, sir, I'm, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring my heart out before the Lord. And Eli said to her, well, may God do to you as you have requested. And she had promised the Lord that if he would give her a male son, she would give him over to the Lord to be trained in the Lord's ways. And so she gave birth to Samuel and took him to Eli, who was raising him. And in our lesson today, Eli was asleep on his little pallet in the temple in Shiloh, in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. But we're told very clearly in this lesson that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And young Samuel didn't even know who the Lord was. And at night, he heard a voice say to him, Samuel, Samuel, jumped up, ran to Eli. You called, here I am. Eli said, I did not call you. Go back to sleep. So he did. The next, Samuel, Samuel, ran to Eli again. Here I am, you called me. I did not call you. Go back to sleep. A third time, Samuel, Samuel, back to Eli. You called me. No. Then Eli realized that it was God calling young Samuel. And he said, go back to sleep. If he calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And Samuel heard the voice of God and said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And we're told our text today skips a couple of verses that I'm going to include here. But the the conclusion of the passage today is that Samuel grew in wisdom and he spoke often with the Lord. What happened after that the next morning, Eli said, What did he tell you? Samuel didn't want to tell Eli, but because Eli was a high priest and said, What did he tell you? Tell me. He told him. So young Samuel said, The Lord said, You have been very evil, you and your sons. They have debauched themselves, and you knew about it and did nothing. So judgment has come upon the house of Eli. And Eli, this was the Lord speaking. And later on, the way that was fulfilled was when Eli's two corrupt sons, Hophni and Phinehas, took the Ark of the Covenant into battle against the Philistines. And because they were evil in the sight of the Lord, they were defeated They were put to death by the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. And when the news got back to Eli, he fell over dead. Samuel, though, was obedient to the Lord. And even to crooked Eli, he told him the truth. It is so important that we remember that God always calls to us. He has never stopped talking to us. Our minds are usually filled with all sorts of other things. Or I like to tell my students, we turn our mind to different frequencies, to different channels. We're not on the same system that the Lord is using with us. We have a different carrier going in our minds. And we don't hear the Lord when He calls to us in the still small voice. But we are here today because we have heard Him. And he is speaking to us the the importance of not only listening to him, but reading, marking, learning, and inwardly digesting and obeying what he calls us to do. That's the problem Paul has with the church in Corinth. He's lambasting them for becoming immoral in their behavior. Now he's talking in particular explicitly about sexual immorality. The Corinthians were an abomination to God, even those that Paul had assembled as as his first church in Corinth. So he's writing to admonish them, his church members, that their bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who resides within them and was given them by God. And they are not to debauch their bodies. Then He tells them this. Your bodies are not your own. You've been bought for a price. And we know what that price is. God coming into the world and dying on the cross for us and for our salvation so that we can experience His forgiveness of sins His mercy, His love, His compassion, and then eternal life with Him. We've been given those immeasurable, incalculable gifts freely by God to us and to Corinth, and they've ignored them. They've cast them aside to do whatever seems right in their own eyes. And Paul tells them, I tell you, glorify God, with your bodies don't just do whatever you think is right don't just follow the latest fad God has given us his blessings and his mercy for his reasons not for our pleasure and his reasons are that we change the world by letting light shine in the darkness and rescuing people who have fallen far away now we do too. We fall away. All the time. We are incapable. As I used to, when I was uh, still working with men trying to stay sober, they would come to me and say, I just can't do it. I can't do this program. I can't do it. I can't do this anymore. I said, well, congratulations. That's great. Of course you can't do it. Because it isn't about you. It's about God. Our lives are about Him, not about us. We get that confused all the time, and that leads us to make the horrible, tragic mistake of doing whatever we think is best to do. No, He wants us to be like Him. We have been given His gifts. He has loved us. You know, I, was, uh, I did a, a mass yesterday morning at, a, at my former parish for a, a 50th anniversary uh, wedding anniversary, And as this precious couple stood there before me, I read uh, from John chapter 15, uh, which is the gospel that was read at their wedding, where Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is my commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you. And... Their 50 years of marriage is an indication that they knew that and had internalized it. They had the joy of the Lord still in their hearts. It radiated all around them. And it's the love of Jesus that carries us through. That's what we are supposed to do, to love as He has loved us. And when we make it all about ourselves, we can't do it. We fall away. Paul was not gently reminding the corinthians he was hammering them over the head with the fact that they can't just go out and do whatever feels right you know the slogans from the 60s if it feels good do it no no that takes us down a dark path quickly and when we fall away there is forgiveness for us because jesus didn't just love us once he keeps loving us over and over and over and when we remember that and obey him and walk in his ways when we get confused we talk to him but we have to clear the channels in our minds to do that you know so many people and i'm guilty of this too we go go to the lord when we're in great crisis And we wait until it's almost too late to go to him. And Lord, please rescue me from this. I've gotten in big trouble. You know, God usually says, well, where were you six months ago when you started down that path? Okay, guilty. Where were you a year ago when you started doing these decisions? Guilty. We forget that he's with us. And we know that he looks right into our hearts. He knows everything. He knows our motives. He knows our alibis. And when he when Jesus looked at Peter when in our gospel lesson today, the word used for Jesus, looking at looking at him, is isn't just looking. Uh, in blef, blepso is the Greek for that. He looked into him and said, Truly I tell you, you're Simon, son of John. But I'll tell you, from now on, you're Cephas. You are Peter. Petros, the rock, the one in Matthew 16 says, upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus sees us past, present, and future. And he loves us with his whole heart. And his his command to us is that we go and love others the way he has loved us. And we can only do it with him leading us and doing it through us. Because it is ultimately about him. And not about me, not about you, except for the fact that he loves us and has called us into his service. By being here today, we are saying to him, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. And his will is love others, be compassionate and kind, just as I have been compassionate and kind to you.